Welcome to Panel Up, your monthly pop culture panel. I'm John Campbell. And I am Mike Gergoni. Oh, man. You know, it's always nice to kind of slip off the 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 heavy 1970s coat. Although we're in the 1990s now, <laughs> as of where... But it's, Dude, it's podcast it's, it's, time travel, yes. Yeah, it, it feels like we're wearing uh, clothing that wasn't made to breathe sometimes when we do those uh, comic book uh, Star Wars episodes. It's it's those low, like, uh, V-necks that come down to about mid-pectoral. It's the wide-flared pants. Uh, I just They don't fit right for me. Not quite right. And you, I, th- It's clothes, sure, but should it be? Uh, <laughs> that's, yeah. No, and, instead, and- let's slip on the, the, the slick, modern... Wide flared pants and low. Oh no, fashion is cyclical, John. I just realized. Well, people, yeah, oh yeah, people, people, <laughs> a lot of people talking about how the '90s fashion come back, and it's just like, Jesus, I was actually alive for that. Do not. Like, <laughs> how many mean? zippers can we put on a pair of jeans? That's my question. Yeah, man. Next thing you know, we're gonna have more pouches and comics again. <laughs> oh, the pouches never left. They just got more discreet. <laughs> uh yeah. Well, this is a uh, this is once a month when we uh, we step into modern culture and, and look around if you will <laughs> our eyes blinking as though just coming out of the cave as dictated by right. plato <laughs> <laughs> yeah so we're, we're 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 taking a break here to once again uh yeah talk about what's going on in pop culture we have a main review here but first we always like to kick things off by talking about uh gregoni what are you uh what are you digging right now uh, oh john i'd be lying if i didn't say it was just all zelda all the time over in the gargoni household at the moment uh, mm-hmm. Tears of the Kingdom has kind of devoured my life. Uh, that game, I-, I know you're not a huge gamer, as it were. You play video games, but like, don't yeah. devote a lot of time to it necessarily. No, it's always the thing that's, that's last on the list, like sure. of things to consume. And, and I don't know if you even own a Nintendo Switch. Um, I but- don't. Yeah, that's uh, the. I was never really a Nintendo guy, uh, aside from being. You know, overtly a fan of like things of it and playing at other people's houses, but like had a Sega as a kid, then eventually an Xbox. Now I'm a PlayStation guy, so no, never really. So that's like it. That's a whole thing. It's a whole like section of fandom of, within gaming. Sure, uh, but needless to say, I'm sure you, despite that fact, have not uh, been unaware of the fact that everyone is going nuts about Tears of the Kingdom, the new oh sure Legends yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And that's because, I don't know if you remember a couple years back when Breath of the Wild came out and everyone went nuts over that game. And it was getting, like, Game of the Year nominations. People were giving it, like, 10 out of 10 masterpiece reviews. Keep that in mind when I say that Tears of the Kingdom makes that game look like a first draft. Oh, wow. It's really hard to overstate how explosively Tears of the Kingdom opens up a creative engine in the way its gameplay is handled and the way in which like world exploration and puzzle solving is handled. It uses creative tools a lot like, I mean, this is going to sound horrible to say, but like a lot like the original Fortnite did in like, you know how that game used to be about like building forts. It was called Fortnite for that reason. What? Um, I thought it was a dance game. (laughs) It is now that yes. Um, but 
the way this game uses this kind of like building mechanic that exists within the game to encourage creative puzzle solving and creative exploration even uh, in terms of building vehicles and tools and bridges and ways of getting around obstacles, whether they be physical or enemies or like literal, like you need to get a thousand feet into the air. How do you figure out how to do that? Maybe try gluing a dozen springs together and having them all launch simultaneously and see how far up that gets you. Uh, these are all possible things within the Tears of the Kingdom. Um, it is a wildly engrossing game. If you had problems with uh, Breath of the Wild in terms of like the weapon durability and like just how that game plays, maybe you're not going to find something to like in Tears of the Kingdom. But if you can grapple with the basic game systems that existed in Breath of the Wild, Tears of the Kingdom does all of it plus more it's it's a majestic game and i don't use that word lightly you don't i don't that might be the first time you've ever described anything on here is that so yeah and it's it's breathtaking just like how deeply creative freedom can be right because a lot of times in video games you're on a fairly linear set of a path even if it's an open world game there's a limit to exactly what you can accomplish and yeah that is obviously true within Tears of the Kingdom. Programming can only take you so far in terms sure, of what's yeah. possible. And it's not quite like Minecraft creative mode where you can literally just like build anything. But right. the fact that it gives you a specific set of tools and a certain rules language to try to problem solve in. But then outside of that, it really doesn't hold your hand. And it's just like, okay, you've got a bridge of uh, a mode of lava in front of you. You've got these tools. How do you cross it? Do you build a car that can with wheels big enough to get you like just drive through the lava? Do you build a bridge to like slap down over it? Do you build some kind of glider to help you fly over it? All of those things are totally possible and the game doesn't really hold your hand where that's concerned. So I could see people who are like, maybe have a little bit of analysis paralysis, having a hard time grappling with the game. Um, but I think the, it even gives you tools honest, to overcome that sort of stuff. stuff what too. you're describing kind of sounds like a nightmare to me. Uh, the, you know, do, do you, sir, I, I'm somebody who's very, I like my very uh, on the rails narrative games, or or if you're, uh, you know, more so where it's like I like the you know the the dialogue option games and stuff like sure. that. This sounds way like way more than I'm. The, but like I said, that's just to each their own on that. Yeah, uh, no, it, it is definitely a sandbox experience, and there is definitely a story to the game. Uh, yeah, a quite heartbreaking one at times, but it is approached in a non-linear way in which you kind of have to dig up the pieces of the story, as it were. Um, a, a little. Uh, it's not as abstract as something like Dark Souls, where the story is so obscured by what's going on in the game that it can be like tough to even untangle what's actually happening sometimes uh the game is pretty like squarely laid out as just like okay you'll find some pieces of the story here and there and then it'll break to a cutscene that will explain some stuff mm -hmm. um but it gotcha. is it can be very heartbreaking at times it can be very uh lonely and wistful but also like triumphant and heroic it's everything i want in a zelda game i'm really really enjoying it uh and yeah i've been playing an absolute metric crap ton of Tears of the Kingdom. <laughs> wow. Awesome. Uh, what about you? I, I've been doing a thing this year uh, where I actually am uh, using an app to catalog all the new movies I see. Oh, wow. So that, so that come the end of the year, I can actually look back on what uh, everything I saw. An app uh, that's not just Letterboxd? No, no, because I don't want to rate them. 
Mm. Um, this is just, it's just a film log that just goes month by month and date by date. It says what movies I watch, and I'm only I'm only marking the new movies because mm. you know. Mm. I don't want to fill it up with like a bunch of this because pretty much if I'm not watching something brand new, uh, then it was probably made before 1970 these days. Um, <laughs> I'm either watching the, the newest movie or it's 1945 is basically what's happening uh, over here. Because um, I, uh, yeah, I pretty, <laughs> it's either, it's either it's Fast either, X or Patton. <laughs> kind of, yeah, right? Like I'm on uh, um, my most used. Uh, streaming channels, the Criterion channel. So you know, um, uh, but uh, no. So I, so I, I, I just want something. I think I'm going to continue to do here is go is is look at what I've been watching here. Um, a couple big ones I saw, in a, aside from our main review, I did see the uh, Disney's Little Mermaid. Oh, I pretty saw that too. Good. Yeah, pretty good. I thought it was. I thought it was pretty good. Really, really beautifully shot. Um, uh, yeah, I. I've been pretty lukewarm on a lot of the the Disney live action remakes. I thought this one was definitely in the top half. Yeah, I, I enjoyed it. I thought it was totally fine. Uh, and then, of course, uh, no surprise here, I did go see Transformers: Rise of the Beast the other day. I've been hearing good things about that movie, it, like weirdly it, good things. Good. It's pretty good. I really enjoyed it. It is definitely the sequel to Bumblebee, as mm. opposed to like the Michael Bay movies. Uh, even though Michael Bay is certainly still a producer on it, but. Um, it definitely feels like the next step, uh, from, uh, Bumblebee where it's sort of like, oh, well, let's take that, but action it up a little bit more. But I've really been enjoying the trajectory of that franchise in terms of like, uh, well, you kind of can't go bigger than when you've got goddamn King Arthur shit in, uh, you know, <laughs> uh, uh, last night, right? So it's sort of like, uh, everything becoming much more character driven. What if we just had like... Five Transformers. Uh, and, of course, this also brings in the Maximals, uh, which is all the Beast Wars stuff. But, don't, you know. I, d I don't want you to spoil the movie for me, because I do. Yeah. I'll, I'll see it eventually. But no. is all the Beast Wars stuff as silly as the TV show in terms of the time travel nonsense? Uh, it's hinted at. Okay. Because the Beasts are sort of... Because it's still the Autobots story, right? So yes. the beast, the Maximals are kind of like uh, obfuscated, right? They're not the main mm -hmm. thing. So the weirdness of them is definitely like implied, and it mm -hmm. is sort of like, okay. oh yeah, like we exist outside of time, maybe you know that mm -hmm. kind of stuff is in there. Uh, but um, Ron Perlman is the voice of Optimus Primal is just everything you need in your life. <laughs> <laughs> it's very fun, though. Uh, uh, Anthony Ramos is the star of it. I really enjoy him from Hamilton and In the Heights. Mm -hmm. He actually gets a lot to do as a human lead character in a Transformers movie. Like, like Shia LaBeouf a lot to do, or? <laughs> well, more than that. I mean, they okay. let's say, I don't, once again, no spoilers, they find ways to insert him into the action that i haven't yet to see from a human character of uh and i will also say you're saying uh, that implying it, it that it's in a good way oh i enjoyed it yeah okay. i dug it okay. I, I really i really i really like this movie and i will say the very once again i won't spoil it but the very last moment of the movie will blow your mind and literally when i saw it on opening day a guy stood up out of his chair and applauded at what it was so <laughs> that's a g1 uh, fan right there that guy, I, I, I was like, because I, I, I just went like, oh, and this other guy, <laughs> saw this guy, I think he didn't even unconsciously just leapt up out of his chair and was like, yeah, 
<laughs> so is, does this solidify kind of the soft reboot that we all kind of assumed Bumblebee was? No, I mean, not, no, I don't think it's, uh, yes and no, I guess is the okay. thing. Soft, re- I guess soft reboot is key. There's still nothing that's contradicting, but like, even from the trailers, you can see the designs have gone much closer to the original animated, which uh, these are the best the Transformers have ever looked in a movie, I think. Cool. Uh, yeah, I really, I, I dug it. I think it's really fun. If you're into Transformers, I mean, look, it's still a movie about giant robots. And, sure, and they're still yeah. all looking for a key to open portals to whatever. You know, it's still gobbledygook nonsense, but that's what I go to see. I love the gobbledygook nonsense. <laughs> I mean, with the second Unicron is coming, you know, it's like, you know, we talk about, we have to stop Unicron. And you're just like, <laughs> all right, yeah, man, let's do it. Uh, and then I want to spotlight a couple other smaller movies uh that i saw uh i'll just run through these quick uh air that's now on amazon prime i can't recommend this movie enough it's a new that's film the by one ben about Affleck. air jordans yeah it's about the it's 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 uh it's about the story of the nike executive so it's actually set here weird to see a movie with like a bunch of movie stars set in beaverton oregon um <laughs> uh, but yes it's about nike's pursuit of michael jordan to basically reinvent how um sports marketing and stuff it's it seems like what what how is that interesting but it's actually this really um fun uh pleasant little like scrappy underdog movie it's just weird to think about but there was a time when it's like <laughs> nike, wasn't, nike was not what it is now sure yeah adidas um, was the big dog in town yeah and converse is weird to think about converse was the basketball shoe mm. that's where all the stars went to converse um, but it's this cool thing too, where like Michael Jordan is not really a character in it. Um, so it's all about the people around him and stuff like that. It's really good. Um, uh, uh, uh I also saw Guy Ritchie's The Covenant, which is his, uh, new war thriller, which is a really interesting movie about, uh, uh, Jake Gyllenhaal is a guy who is trying to, uh, get his interpreter in Afghanistan out of the country. Mm. Uh, and it's really interesting because it's sort of a, a celebration of the unsung heroes of the, actual Afghani people who helped aid in trying to, you know, uh, free their country and whatnot, and, and sort of the way that America kind of left them behind and stuff like that. Sure. Uh, really interesting movie. Uh, and then the other one that I that I think uh, I think people really slept on this movie, Hypnotic. Now, this is also Ben Affleck. This is the new Robert Rodriguez movie with Ben Affleck. Really interesting movie. Um, no, th- this movie got no play because the studio that made it bankrupted before the movie came out. Oh no! This movie basically got no. It's because people go like, "Well, there's a Robert Rodriguez like action movie with Ben Affleck, and it's new and it's out." It's like, yeah, it was in theaters for like two weeks. Um, but uh, so if anyone wanted to see this movie, you're recommending they can't. Well, they can now. Now, now it's available oh, on VOD okay. stream. You can rent it, uh, and I, I recommend checking it out. I think it's a little gem. Ben Affleck's a cop. Who is uh, uh, responding to a, a, a supervillain who seems to have mind control powers? He's a hypnotic, and so he can make anybody do anything. And how do you stop a madman? With but I will say it is a uh, what I described it to somebody as because that's one pitch. Because uh, there's lots of secrets in it that I, I think one of the keys to it is I don't want to say too much about it. But mm-hmm. what my review of it to somebody was it's like it's like if Christopher Nolan made an X Men movie. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. So that, that that I recommend. Those are those are so that's some of the stuff I've been watching uh new in theaters and on, on VOD. Um and uh yeah. So you can check those things awesome. out. Uh, 
That last one is called Hypnotic? Hypnotic. Okay. And like I said, well worth people's time if you're into weird sort of like twisty sci-fi stuff. I Uh, I do like twisty sci-fi stuff. And I I mean, I'm a big Robert Rodriguez fan, and this is definitely so all shot, of course. And I'm like, oh, look, they're in Texas. Uh, (laughs) Oh, look, they're in Robert Rodriguez's backyard. Yeah, like, (laughs) oh, what? Ben Affleck is an Austin police detective? No way. Um, (laughs) No, no, you you mispronounced Boston. Yeah, Boston. Yeah, he's a Boston cop. Yeah, yeah, down here in Texas. Um, Jack Earl Haley, fun. Jack Earl Haley is a fun little part in it. It's really good. Like I said, I wish... It, it it it's one of those things that just got lost to circumstance due to like weird financial stuff. But mm. it should have been like a bigger blockbuster movie. But I really enjoyed it a lot. Cool. Uh, uh, all right. Well, let's uh, let's turn th- things to what people clicked on this for, <laughs> <laughs> and also what we want to talk about as well, which is our 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 big uh, you know spotlight review on Spider Man across the Spider Verse. Yes, indeed. Yeah. John, as much as I would like to spend two hours talking about uh, Legend of Zelda Tears of the Kingdom, seeing as you have not experienced it, but yeah, we both be... have coterminously experienced Across the Spider-Verse, we better talk about the thing we both saw. That's generally a good idea on this Unless show. we want to circle back around to Little Mermaid. I could talk about that, too. Well, I thought Little Mermaid was pretty good. Uh, yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah I, I, had a, I had a perfectly fine time. The Prince Eric song added some weird implications that I'm not comfortable with, but moving on. You know, they took out stuff from the Kiss the Girl song to... Whatever, uh, you know, it's sort of like every, it's ever a balance over there at Disney. <laughs> um, but uh, uh, but I did like when it turned into a kaiju movie. So, um, <laughs> well, I like that about the original as well. Yeah, that's yeah, exactly. Um, but uh, and uh, Javier Bardem is Aquaman. Great. Um, <laughs> my favorite Aquaman. Uh, so uh, but that movie doesn't need our help either. It's making all kinds of money. Actually, neither does this because this is the uh, biggest opening weekend for any movie uh, so far this year. I am so pleased at how well this movie is doing because I think it absolutely deserves it. This movie is capital A art, in my opinion. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Like in, 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 a few, in a few definitions of that word. Right, yeah. No, I think the, the filmmaking on display here is so interesting. Like... We have a hard out at a certain point in this recording, but I could go on and on. Yeah. And I need to see this movie more times and be able to stop frames of it so I can dissect more of it. Yeah. Because I've only managed to see this movie once. I want to see it again. There is a lot to dissect in this film. I'm actually, I'm, due to the schedule and this stuff like that, I actually am going again tomorrow. So I haven't, I've only still seen it the once, but I am going again. Um but because uh, because I, I wouldn't saw Transformers. Um, but uh, <laughs> you gotta go find Transformer. Um, also, weird thing in Transformers, real quick. There is a joke because it's set in the '90s. There is a joke about Marky Mark, and that weirded me out. Oh boy, they're almost they're edging towards Ocean Twelve territory. I know. I'm going like, <laughs> so does that mean Cade Yeager looks like Mark Wahlberg in this world? <laughs> uh, but Never yes, across the Spider Verse, the sequel the to uh, in- Into the Spider Verse. Yes. Uh, much anticipated. Um, I think also much... Uh, I don't want to say that people didn't, but I think there was definitely a lot of, this better be good, right? Because in the Spider-Verse, there's always that thing. In the Spider-Verse was such a surprise, right? Yeah. Nobody really knew what it was going to be, and then it came out and it just blew everyone's mind. So I think there was sort of like, well, how do you recapture that? How do you, you know, how do you get lightning in a bottle twice, right? I want to preface this conversation by saying 
Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse, and I've said this a few times on other shows, is maybe my favorite Spider-Man movie. And when I say maybe, I only mean because I bailed halfway through that sentence on saying maybe my favorite superhero movie. It is my favorite Spider-Man movie. Interesting thing, and I'm glad you bring this up now. I have such a tough time, because I've heard a lot of people say that about this movie. Mm. Uh, well, And I've heard it said about both. Yes, I, and this I do this with Batman, too, and I do this with all of them. It's like, the animated stuff I want to separate out, not out of uh, disrespect for the animated stuff, but just because it's like, oh, it's doing... I don't I like I when I guess what I'm saying is like I don't know how to compare something like this to something like No Way Home. Mm. There's just, it's capturing different things. What I'll say about both of these movies is something I love about both of them. And and literally uh, I don't know if you saw there was a video uh where James Gunn was ranking his favorite super, superhero movies and he put Into the Spider-Verse at number 1. Mm-hmm. Uh, and like I said I'm not I'm not here to uh, this is my own like I just it's so but these capture something about comic books that I've never seen any other movie do. And it really is the celebration of it as the capital A art form. And Mm -hmm. it's it's something, I guess that's why I'm saying like there's sort of this unfair advantage these have where it's just like they they just, those MC movies just, they can't. Right. You can't, the things these movies do, I will say this, and, and this is maybe even a broader statement. These are, and I, and this is me hedging my thing now, as I'm saying it, I think, I would say these are just my favorite animated movies that have ever been made. Maybe um, I just think Ooh, what that's a big statement, but yeah, that's up. They're up there. Yeah, I mean they're they're in the rent. It's like this and like some Pixar stuff, right? Like it's a uh, for me like it the the but the things these do and the risks they take, the 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 ability to put all the particularly I really noticed it about this one because I think they took something that was in the first movie, and they would go even harder at it here. Yeah. The scenes where radically different art forms are all in the same frame, mm-hmm. and it and it, and it it works, is crazy to me. When you see Spider-Punk standing next to Miles, and Spider-Punk looks like a crazy, like, punk rock drawing. Yeah. And he's literally going like this. It it, it shouldn't work, is, I guess, the thing that's, that's so much of the magic of these movies. There's so much in them that should doom these movies, and yet they just nail it. Well, and you, we got to remember in 2018, Into the Spider-Verse was such a nuclear bomb in the animation world in terms of everyone up to that point, I feel like. And obviously there are exceptions, and they're like, uh, animation is one of those art forms where people are pushing the boundaries on the corners and no one really sees that work until something explodes into the mainstream and into the Spider-Verse was that thing. But up to that point, all the mainstream animated films were all sort of aping the Pixar style, right? Like Pixar and Disney had found the animation style that worked in there as a translation from their cartooning style. And everything had sort of settled on that and all other styles, including like the DreamWorks stuff and the Illumination stuff had kind of radiated out from there. Into the Spider-Verse said, fuck that, you can make something look wild and animated and comic booky and play with the frame rate and play with the animation style on a frame-to-frame basis and include things diegetically that feel like it's a cartoon, and that's okay. I think I think that I think that's a good way to like it embrace and that's why when I say the the caveat of that is th- this is 
these are certainly the best animated superhero movies I've seen. But because they are embracing being a cartoon, it is so using its medium. These can't be live action movies. You know, you just what they're doing here, they're going like, if we're going to make an animated Spider-Man, we are going to make an animated Spider-Man. You know what I mean? So that's the thing and where it's like. By by the same token, a live action movie could never approach this because at a certain point it just becomes an animated film, right? That's it, exactly. And so that's where I sort of go like, because like, you know, No Way Home has so many amazing things that it can do that animation can't. You can't create an animation, the emotional impact of seeing Toby Maguire, Andrew Garfield, and Tom Holland in a scene together. And it's, you know, the the live action superhero stuff is going to kind of the opposite of this, right? Where it's like, look at things that we're drawing now be real. And isn't that an amazing magic trick? So mm-hmm. I think I love so much that we now live in a world where both of these things exist. Uh, you know, because that's the thing. Is like I don't want either one to be the uh, to just be like, well, yeah, Spider Man. You know, those are like cartoon movies or Spider Man. Yeah, we can't make anime. I and mean, we've talked about this forever about the lack of uh, appreciation for superhero animated stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, aside from Bruce Tim, who just keeps chugging along over there at Warner Brothers, man. <laughs> well, and that's why I want to preface this conversation with the appreciation for the medium, right? Because mm-hmm. There is this, and even your statements as like uh, gregarious and as like you want to appreciate these things as those statements are, there is this bifurcation of storytelling yeah. mediums that almost sort of has to happen. That's kind of but 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 a lot of people treat that bifurcation as a dismissal of one, right? And that's and that's that's where it gets shitty, and that's where I yeah. want. I was really trying to be like I, I want to say like my bifurcation is out of appreciation. Like, yeah. that's the thing is, like, I think when anim- – I'm not, like, an animation nerd. Like, I'm not, like, somebody – but I, I just seek out good stuff. So I want to see the best animation if I'm going to see animation. And that's what I think is being done here. They're doing stuff that just I don't ever think was possible, really. And, of course, the thing that always people come back to is, like, and it's Sony. <laughs> like, it's like, it's like one of the big companies and also the thing is um this is this is so good and and most of the other sony spider-man stuff is really not so it's really weird uh it, it, these movies are such a weird little pocket and i kind of love that about them that it's like and also i think something we've seen in the past couple years is I don't know that Hollywood knows how to replicate the success of this. No, and that is always the case with something that detonates like this does. I mean, we saw it with Guardians of the Galaxy. We saw yeah. it with, uh, like, so many other films that come on the yeah. scene. Um, and, I mean, even Into the Spider-Verse, like I was saying, like, that movie came out. And how many other films did we see trying to do, like, interesting, different animation styles and fall on their face trying to do it? And But for every one of those, we also saw projects emerging like... Uh, I really want to highlight Star Wars Visions because they're doing amazing stuff with like different animation teams translating the same basic source material into different looks and styles. Uh, mm. I haven't t- had a chance to talk about it on this show, but season two of Visions I thought was amazing in terms mm. of like all the different animation styles they pulled together, but are all still uniquely Star Wars. And right. what Across the Spider-Verse does is translate that into each of these individual spider peoples has an animation style that is singular to their world and how that 
is the language of the film that tells us they're from different realities. I think is such a smart and cool storytelling merged with art uh, decision. Yeah, and something you could really only do in animation to this extent, right? I mean, you could play around with it. You can get to like Pleasantville kind of effects or something like that. Mm. Action, but it, it ends up kind of coming off gimmicky. You know, in the movies with the multiverse stuff, it, it I feel like it falls more to the actors, right? Like to play the the variants of themselves and whatever aided makeup by makeup and stuff like that. Uh, but I, but I feel like yeah, the art design here is so beautiful. But I think the other key, and this is always the thing I talk about with Pixar too, is because uh, like you know I'm I ebb and flow on like Disney animated stuff. I like some more than other stuff, right? But generally, I am a Pixar nerd in a way I am not for Disney animation, and sure. that is the writing. And I feel like that's the that's the piece that's always is like. Well, yeah, look at all this crazy experimental art stuff they're doing in these Spider-Verse movies, but these scripts are so good, and the, it, it's a perfect example of how the art and the story go hand in hand, much like a comic book, um, that, that that I think is, is always the key thing that they miss, right? It's sort of like, it's like, yeah, but the thing is, I'm both appreciating all this art stuff that we're talking about but also kind of not paying attention to it too, or it's not getting in the way of it's working because I'm absorbed in the story. So it's fitting with it. It's not just, if this was, I I wouldn't like these movies as much if I was just going like, well, that looks cool, you know? But I think what you're talking about is something similar. We talk about whenever we're talking about um, movie score, right? When it's Mm -hmm. bad, it's glaring. When it's, when it's transcendent and amazing, it's enhancing your experience without you even really realizing it. And I think the art direction in the Spider-Verse movies is the same way. There are so many, a a thousand, thousand little details in every single frame of these movies that you're not registering because they're a part of the language of comic books that you are so used to, whether it be like the, the soft focus pixelation quote-unquote of the characters that then become the the dots of like old comic book stylings or the little bit of curvy crackle that we see on explosions or like all the little things that we translate as comic book fans as just like yeah that's part of the medium that's something that when i was talking about like the thing these capture is the experience of i've never seen other movies that capture the experience of like consuming a comic book like these movies do. And it feels like any other time people have tried to do it, it's like, oh God, it's like when Ang Lee was doing split screen stuff to make panels in that Incredible Hulk movie. And you're like, man, that is just, but I understand. He, what- he was trying for something that these movies actually accomplish. I, I can, in like, retrospect, I-, I can see what he was going for because Into the Spider-Verse got there. Right, but it comes, I think that it's another thing that's aided by the animation, right? It's like when you're doing it in live action, all of a sudden it's adding this, like, hand-drawn, all of a sudden I'm thinking of actors on a screen as drawings, and that comes off as gimmicky, as opposed to this, where it just so naturally weaves together into all this thing, and and it's all working in tandem with each other. I mean, you talk about, that's what you were saying, like, capital A art of this. That's the thing that's amazing is, Every piece of art in this, from the the actual animation to the writing to the voice acting, is all coming together. And 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 I'm not thinking about the individual pieces of it. I'm just experiencing this incredible story where every single level is working. Yeah, and you say that 
in, in kind of a dismissive way, and I can understand why, uh, talking about Sony Pictures Animation, right? As just, like, not sure. Pixar, not Disney, not any of the big pillars no, of animation. Nobody ever talked about them in the same... I mean, they do stuff, certainly. But that's the thing. I think it's only in the last, and probably since Into the Spider-Verse, that things have actually started, like, picking up with them in a way. But it's really... The the ones that I can look to as like, oh, those are actually standout animated films are the ones that involve uh, Chris, uh, Phil Lord and Chris Miller. Yeah, because yeah. it's the two Spider-Verse movies and Mitchell's versus the machines, which yes. I, I think people slept on a little bit because it was released right in the middle of the pandemic. Um, sure. But is such like of a piece with the Spider-Verse films in terms of their animation style and in terms of the storytelling in them. Well, and also, uh, of course, Phil Lord and Chris Miller are also behind the uh, the Lego movie, right? Um, uh, which there's there's a little Lego piece of this movie too. I loved um, Lego Spidey in this one; that was so fun. Yeah, I mean that. What well, the the other piece of this? Uh, so I do think there's sort of it's just like, well, I love what Phil Lord and Chris Miller do, and the fact that Sony seems like what they're doing is is, is a good thing, uh, you know. But yes, I I do think Sony Pictures themselves as a as a company in general, not even just their animation, is always kind of a mess. Like it's just they've never they've never really solidified as a movie studio in live action or animation to me. They mm. always feel like they're playing catch up. They lost the Bond franchise, which hurt them a lot. I know, uh, you know, and and they're ever the Spider Man stuff in particular is like their golden goose, and they just consistently seem to not be able to figure out how to make that function. What, you think the Craven the Hunter movie isn't going to uh, turn the tables on terms of who's writing the true Marvel characters out in I, the real yeah. world? <laughs> and if, and if, if I think that about that, imagine when I think about Madam Web. Um, you know, I was you... actually shocked that Madam Web didn't turn up in this film. Um, yeah. I, and before we get too deep into the discussion, I do want to put out blanket spoiler warning because we're going to spoil the hell out of this movie. And I think it's worth seeing if you enjoyed the first movie uh, or if you just want to experience a really cool animated flick. Go see Across the Spider-Verse. It's so good. It's really good. Yeah. I mean, it, uh, it, 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 it begs to be seen for sure. And, you know, if you care at all about the, the intricacies of it and the universe of it, then you've probably already seen it. But definitely, sure. yeah, don't let that stuff be spoiled because there were definitely multiple moments that when I saw this, I was like, whoa, what? Yeah, uh, uh, we'll talk about the ending because the end of this movie is uh, devastating for several reasons. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the, 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 and that's the thing I'm talking about is like it, it is it is the writing that goes hand in hand. I feel like I feel like that is often a thing when you talk about people. It's like, well, yeah, they're animated movies. It's like, well, no, but the, the really good ones are just movies in terms of like the way you engage with them. And I said that's the thing I respect so much about Pixar is they really crack the story before they even start doing the animation they really make sure that script is rock solid and only then do they pursue which is why their new movie elemental gives me some pause because everything i'm seeing is just like well this just looks like a rom-com if that's what they're going for i guess that's cool but like <laughs> oh man it, i think elemental looks amazing what a okay. cool idea uh when they're down i mean you know they're they're talking about uh interracial relationships aren't they though sure yeah i know yeah come on man i i see i'm all in the bag for pixar i i'm a i'm a pixar uh nerd so uh but uh this movie uh so yeah this, this picks up 
weirdly during the end of uh, Into the Spider-Verse. Uh, it picks up with the Gwen stuff basically like right near the end of Spider-Verse. And right. then we cut to like a year later. Though yeah. there, it gets a little fuzzy because it seems like there was... If you read Into the Spider-Verse at the very end of it, you can't really le- read it as literal because the end of Into the Spider-Verse kind of implies that like as soon as... Miles sits down at the end of that movie. Gwen shows up and says, hey, let's go on this next adventure. When, like, between the cuts, a year transpires that we didn't see at the end yeah, of the movie. It's like, yeah, there's a year that happens between the last two scenes of Into the Spider-Verse, basically. Right, it's yeah. Very, like, oh, okay, yeah. When I was watching this, I went, whoa, all right. But, yes, we, we start from Gwen's perspective in this movie. Or do we start with 2099? You saw it like yesterday i saw, I it, saw last it last night yeah um yeah. we we start with gwen we open with gwen gwen's okay, doing yeah. the opening monologue here as yeah. she like basically details the events of into the spider-verse um yeah, a little bit we get cu- a couple recaps of into the spider-verse in this movie there's some previously on yeah. uh, uh from and from the perspectives of characters but <clears throat> yeah we the, uh, this movie is uh kind of equally split between miles morales and gwen stacy i was really surprised <laughs> at how much of a gwen movie this is yeah I mean, this is a much longer movie, and I know people are just like, Jesus Christ, two-hour, 20-minute cartoon. <laughs> I was uh, like, yes, give me three hours. Well, I mean, look, I, you and I are in the bag. We'll watch as much Spider-Man as they want to give us. Uh, sure. I don't care. Um, you know, people, people scoffed at the three-hour Batman movie. That was out last year, too. I'm like, not long enough. Um, <laughs> there could be, always be more Batman. Um, but, uh, yeah, so, but I think, I think, in that running time, one of the, the benefits of it is is it allows for more rounded perspectives of some of the other characters. I think everybody is greatly expanded upon in this. One of the things I also really liked is um, I love Miles' parents, and they have much more to do in this one than that we get a lot more of their perspective on stuff. Yeah, um, uh, Rio and Jeff are yeah. uh, actual... Like, we got a lot of Jeff in the first movie, um, yeah. which... Inter- uh, just a weird, interesting note in this film is that Jeff has uh, the Morales last name, whereas usually he uh, has Jefferson. his own. Yeah, as Jeff. Well, it's because they no one would let Brian Michael Bendis name a Spider-Man Miles Davis. Um, <laughs> <laughs> as they should. Uh, uh, but yeah, the fact that he took uh, Rio's. Uh, last name in this film is never really commented on. It's just something I picked I, up on that was like I kinda, oh, interesting. I, I kind of look at that as having to do with his brother and crime and stuff like that, and wanting to. Well, that's that's from the comic books, right? Like, I, yeah. there's they address why Miles has his mom's last name in the comics, and that is right. because, uh, like Miles' dad, Miles' grandfather, uh, Jeff Davis's dad, uh, yeah. was like an abusive father. And right. like set him and his brother down like a bad path, and that's why Jeff kind of rebelled against his dad and became a cop. But that's also kind of why uh, Prowler became the Prowler, and right. uh, so he didn't want his son to have his father's last name as well. Is the reasoning in the comics? And so I think I think they've just taken it one step further to the idea about like, well, we're just all under this umbrella going to be the Morales family. Then we're just going to yeah. sort of rebrand the, that. That's kind of my read on it. Is sure, just, yeah. And you can read into that. And I'm, of course, yes, we're using our knowledge of the comics there. But yeah, I mean, it you know, it's, 
So I, I I love what Brian Tyree Henry does as that character. I think his voice performance, he's so funny in the first movie. And so, you know, you, you, you love him. They do such a good job of he's got such dad energy. Mm-hmm. And I think they do such a good job of he's not an Uncle Ben. He is like so much of his character is like, I don't know what to do, man. Like, I, I don't have all the wisdom per se. I'm just I'm just trying to do my best here. Well, the scene where he's literally having that conversation with Spider-Man, who is his son and he does not know, yeah. is so telling of the character. But yeah, you're right. I think both Jeff and Rio have so much more to do in this film as just representing the emotional support that Miles has. And I, that- like I said, I think come off as, as really relatable. I'm not being a parent, but I'm saying like from what I imagine it is where they're just they're, they're ever tiptoeing around. They're never portrayed as sort of stock pop culture parents, which are either incredibly disapproving or impossibly wise. And that's sort of where the Uncle Ben, Aunt May stereotype breaks down, right? Is that like Aunt May is almost never portrayed as a person yeah. in any of the movies, at the very least. She is a font of wisdom and someone to be rescued most of the time. And obviously, like, loves... Peter unconditionally, and that's yeah. a big part of his. It's interesting title. to look at the three live-action depictions we've had, and each of them trying to get at what Aunt May is, hmm. um, right? Like, because I think each one has been a, a pretty different depiction of her, uh, and including even then the Lily Tomlin version of her that was in Into the Spider Verse um, was yet another one uh, who was a who was sort of a more hardened Aunt May who had lost Peter and you know was forced to, you know. Uh, reckon with that and reckon with the legacy of Spider-Man. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I think that that's the thing. So, but one also, it's, it's, you go back and read the original comics. She's just this sickly old woman who is this ever like she's she's just part of the stakes for Peter in the original comics, right? It's always like, and my sickly aunt will die. I think the thing is like the 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 parent relationship is so much clearer in the Morales family. Yeah, and I. I think the best depiction of Aunt May is probably the Ultimate Spider-Man comics. She's depicted as much more of, like, someone who's coming to terms with the fact that she's a mother and who has lost her husband and is trying to raise Peter the best she can. Obviously, mm-hmm. that comic book has the benefit of just hacking away 60 years of continuity and just yeah, trying yeah, to yeah. come up with well, characters whole cloth. We're both huge fans of that uh, Ultimate Spider-Man run, and I mm-hmm. think a lot of that is because, much like the movies, as we've talked about, something that you have the benefit of seeing every mistake and every just sort of like decades of people going, what if we did this? No, no, no. Hold on. You go with that. And you can just cut right through that and go, here's what worked. Let's start there. Right. Uh, and I think that's that's something that's that's that I love about these movies, once again in particular, is... They it's it's all on the table. Like the thing when you talk about like you're glad this movie uh made money because it's good. I'm glad this movie made money because it's like I mean there's just I mean I guess I'm pleasantly surprised it made money because I'm like, dude, this is such a deeply nerdy film. And it is so it is it is such a bizarre love letter to everything weird and wonderful about Spider-Man specifically. I do feel like it's sort of, and this is something I was thinking about too, is I maybe Batman is the only other character I could imagine anyone doing this kind of thing with. I can't imagine many other characters functioning in this kind of, like where Spider-Man is such a ubiquitous pop culture figure who does have so many different takes and variation and such a weirdly specific continuity in the comics 
Yeah, and that comment that particularly the Spider Verse continuity stuff is relatively yeah. recent. Um, yes. only in the last like fifteen twenty years has that even really still. solidified into its own thing. And even still, that even in the comics, the Spider Verse stuff is commenting on the fact that like there's a lot of like spider people, are, you know, like it's still this sort of thing where it's like mm-hmm. the only other thing I can think of is yeah, is is the bat people is the only other thing I could possibly comprehend there being like because i immediately remember going like dc you gonna make it to the bat verse now don't do it warner brother um <laughs> you know you i mean we have a movie coming out this week as of the recording of this there's two batman in it though so i guess who am i to talk um right uh but yeah it's uh, i just think it's 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 such a thing even the beginning of the of, of into the spider verse where he's talking about like i was a popsicle i was a thing you know it is just like spider-man is such a ubiquitous thing that I think anything else, and it probably would turn off people, but, like, people are... Spider-Man is one of the most ubiquitous and well-known characters, so people can kind of go, like, even if you don't know that all this stuff is stuff, like, they don't... Like, a lot of stuff isn't made up for this movie. Like, it exists in comics and stuff Oh, sure. Spider-Horse pre-exists this movie. Yeah, right, exactly. (laughs) That kind of stuff. Um, It's still fun to go, oh, look, a twist on a Spider-Man, because that's a thing I have such a knowledge of. Right. It's a approach that is both unique and one that is filling in that the whole sentiment of the first movie, which is anyone can be behind the mask, right? Yeah. That is such an important part of the Spider-Man mythos. As, as much as it is also a part of Batman insofar as that, like, okay, Batman could be anybody because he's just a guy, right? But he's also yeah. a billionaire, and he also trained with ninjas and all this other stuff. Peter Parker is just some kid who got bit by a spider, and right. suddenly yeah. he decides to try to help people. And the thing about given the resources, anyone could be Batman, which is also one of those, of course not. But, you know, it is yeah. sort of that that is inherent in there. I think there's a reason they are individually the most popular characters of their companies Mm. for that reason though they are probably the most approachable heroes yeah and and spider-man has always had that note of well any kid could get bitten by that radioactive spider and the fact that the into the spider-verse movie and this movie even to a greater extent leans into that sentiment and then starts to play with it which is what across the spider-verse is all about right this idea of the canon and and I mean it was it was inherent to the design. Stanley always talked about that the idea of the costume that covers every part of him, so anybody could be. And actually, if you go back and read the original Spider-Man comic, there's literally ads for it like the superhero who could be you. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there, there there definitely is that sense. But I think one of the things that this movie does that builds upon and challenges the first movie is this movie. The first movie was all about well, anybody can wear the mask. And now this movie is going, yeah, but if you wear the mask, the same things have to happen to you. Right. And that's why I think this makes such this makes Across the Spider-Verse such a good sequel is that it challenges the first movie. Right. Yeah. I I think the best sequels are the ones that uh, try to examine what the first movie in their series was all about. Question those things and either tear them down or reaffirm them, depending on what the movie has to say. Right. Yeah. That that's that's the thing that's interesting. It it, it uh, that's what a good continuation as you bring up is like with the 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 new sort of central antagonist. I know I, I hesitate to call him a villain in in Miguel O'Hara Spider Man twenty ninety nine. He's an antagonist. Sort of, I wouldn't call him necessarily the villain because 
I mean, he's a great villain in that what he believes is correct needs to happen, and that might destroy some people's lives along the way. But he's a real. And I don't. Just I wouldn't call him out and out like he's not a supervillain. He's not evil. He's not the Red Skull. No, and 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 certainly the closer the villain we have here is the Spot, right? Right. Uh, who's who's actively like mucking things up for his own gain. Um, but uh, I fucking love the Spot in this movie. Spot is great, man. Spot is such a... Who did I just see? Was it? I feel like it was Lord or Miller who was going like, I've always had an affinity for the spot. And that's kind of why he took on such a, it's just like, because he is a weird character. Like the spot pops up here and there in Marvel. I distinctly remember him in a Jessica Jones comic. Like, yeah, uh, I'm trying to figure out when did he first pop up? He's a fairly recent character, all things considered. Probably. He first appeared on a cover. No, that's when did he first appear? Uh, created by first appearance, uh, Spider-Man number 97, December, 1984. Oh, he's older than I thought he was. Yeah, but that's, you know, I mean, 80s Spider-Man. Uh, but anyway, the thing about Miguel O'Hara is like the comics continuity guy, right? Where it's just like, no, this is what happens. Mm -hmm. And we don't need from that. And you don't screw with that. And it's like, yeah, but people die. It's like, yeah, but... Less people die, actually. He's a real needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few or the one, right? Where it's like, okay, some some Captain Stacy's have to die. But that has to be the case. Otherwise, who knows what kind of calamity it could lead to. It's well, almost like old collateral damage. Right. I mean, I'll... there's so much going on in this film. It's going to be tough to cover everything. But the, the meta text here... Is, at least to me, this was my read on it, is that Miguel O'Hara and the, the Spider Society is fandom, right? They're the ones who have the expectation of what has to happen every time for it to qualify for their standard of storytelling. Their canon, if you will. Yeah. If it doesn't happen that way, the world, quote-unquote, will be destroyed. And from the fans' perspective, if the thing they don't want to happen happens, or the things they don't want to happen happen, I'm getting tripping over my own words here, but like their world, quote-unquote, their worldview, their concept of comics. How many times have you seen fans online being like, well, everything's ruined now that this one thing has happened? I mean, it's it's happening in Spider Man right now. I've seen that. Yes, <laughs> yes, it is. That's so ironic. <laughs> that wealth run of Spider Man that everybody's bitching about, you know, and and I think, which always amazes me because I think you and I talk a lot about comics like this as people who are so devoted to the medium and so absorbed in American superhero storytelling. I don't get upset about anything anymore because it doesn't. Everything is in flux. That's kind of the beauty of it in some ways, right? Yeah. You just go like, oh, I, I, the farthest I'll go is like, I, I don't want to read that run. Like, I stopped reading Bendis' Superman after Superman revealed a secret identity because I'm like, I don't like that. Now I'm back reading the Philip Kennedy Johnson Superman because he undid that. And, okay, that's it's just like, well, I don't like that take. I'll just wait for the next take. Do you remember 15 years ago when basically Green Lantern was over? Yeah. <laughs> and everything, like, just post the Johns run, people were just like... I guess Green Lantern's still going because it has to, right? But how do you even build back up? And then in more recent years, like in the Rebirth stuff, I think there's been some pretty dang good Green Lantern. 
the Grant Morrison Green Lantern run that he just did was amazing, and and yeah, what they're doing. So no, that's it exactly. It's it's all it's all in flux, and and nothing's permanent. Everything will always revert back to some version of the status quo, because uh, there are just sort of you know there are the key pillars of each character, and those are kind of unbreakable in any kind of permanent way. I loved the irredeemable Iron Man series where Victor Von Doom. Oh right, yeah. Uh, became Iron Man for a little while, yeah. post-Secret yeah. Wars. And that lasted, Do what, I, like 12 to 14 issues? 12 to 14 issues. Did I want Victor Von Doom to never revert back to the iron-fisted dictator of Latveria and be the best supervillain out there? No, but it was an interesting story they were trying to tell. Oh, it's a fun little thing. People are getting bent out of shape about the Punisher right now, because he's been in, he's infiltrated the hand, and he's, right, like, fighting yeah. injuries. People are like, this is dumb. It's like, can I get back to shooting street punks in New York? That will happen, and that's fine. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's the it's Scott Snyder. I remember during his Batman run, which we off laud because it's an amazing run. But when he did the super heavy stuff with where where Jim Gordon was Batman, he was like, "Guys, you know Bruce Wayne is coming back. Just go with me for like a year on this and see what this story does." And it's a pretty interesting little Jim Gordon story. And then Bruce Wayne came back and he was Batman and things went back to normal. It's fine, you guys. It's just so interesting. <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, I mean. Th- th- Bringing up this movie, right? Remember when people got all bent out of shape about the creation of Miles Morales? Oh, man. I mean, you go back to the, like, midpoint of the uh, the Ultimate Universe, right? Yeah. And Miles showing up after they killed Peter Parker. Now, admittedly, they killed Peter Parker in an alternate universe that wasn't yeah. the 616, in which were, the whole point of that like storytelling experiment was to do new and interesting things that yeah. were severed from the quote-unquote canon. Right, and the criticism but, of, ultimates, of the Ultimate Universe became, it, it ended up kind of hewing back too much to canon eventually. Sure, and then doing some other wild, crazy stuff. We can talk about Ultimatum all day. But, oh, man, Ultimatum's um, not. Yeah, but... That was such a big people getting uh, their their self wound up about this yeah. that there were stories about it on nightly news in which yeah. people who had no idea what was happening were saying Marvel has killed Peter Parker Spider Man and replaced him with a young black man. How dare yeah. they? Yeah, 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 yeah. Despite the fact not realizing that there were still like five to six ongoing titles with Peter Parker and Spider Man, and th- there's literally just one with this Miles Morales character. Yeah. In an yeah. alternate reality. Yeah. Well, that's always the thing, right? People got all bent out of shape about the death of Superman, of course, and any comic book fan knew he was coming back. Or uh, people talk about the death of Robin. When Jason Todd Robin died, people were like, do you hear they killed Robin in the comics? And it's like, well, not the one you that you're remembering from your childhood. This is a character actually people don't like. But, you know, the, the one you remember is on the Teen Titans and he's been there for years. Right. Exactly. That's the thing where it's like people don't actually it's all just the iconography of it. People who remember loving Spider-Man as a kid go, they killed Spider-Man. That's not OK. Well, who is it just a, a, a Kamala Khan is currently dying in the comics right now. And it's going like, well, there's a movie with her in November. So she'll probably be back by then. Right. Like, it's just and, like and anyone who's reading comics right now knows from like a mile away okay right now we're in a state where no mutant can really die krakoa is a thing cyclops 
due to some time travel nonsense, what became Kamala Khan's like best friend in the champions uh, book. Yeah. There's no way he's going to leave her dead. And he's got an Island where resurrecting people is like a day to day occurrence. There's yeah, no that, way this is sticking. I mean, uh, Dr. Strange was dead for like a year last year. You know, it's like, it's just, yeah. It, death. I mean, it's the joke in comic, right? Is always the thing about just it's like a revolving well, door. Yeah. Yeah. Right. The Wolverine. I mean, Wolverine died and came back pretty goddamn fast. Remember that whole thing too? I mean, that run just, where he was in hell was great. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing is, I just you sort of embrace it at a certain point. What's the you just going like, oh well, we'll see what they do then, and then eventually the character will be back. It's all so, experimental stuff leading to that's what that's what this movie. When I, this is all leading to say, what I love about this movie is it's kind of just it is going like, yeah, all, what if all this stuff just mattered? It is taking in some ways, it's taking comic books. And comic book continuity more seriously than a lot of movies because it is throwing it. It's going all of it matters, everything that's happened, and the big thing that when we were talking about spoiler territory is, it seems like also all the live action movies exist in this connected Spider Verse as well. Well, absolutely, and that's why we get back to our central antagonist here. I think Miguel O'Hara, uh, aka Spider Man twenty ninety nine, aka. Very hunky Oscar Isaac. AKA Oscar Isaac, who has now played, like, a lot of Marvel characters. Three. Uh, He's the first actor, this I just saw a headline about, the first actor to have played three different Marvel characters. That's not true. That can't be true. There's so many voice actors who have played three Marvel characters over cartoons. There's no way that's true. I mean, I guess, okay, I don't know about voice acting, but... Well, what if you're counting voice acting with Oscar Isaac right now? Yeah, he's the first actor, the first like major star, I guess, in in or at least a uh, uh, let me say uh, the, to the, in theatrically released feature films to have played three Marvel characters. Okay, I'll maybe grant you that one, but yeah, like I, I, I I'm just gonna say I'm gonna throw out a voice actor. Clancy Brown has probably played more <laughs> Marvel characters, maybe so, but at <laughs> least Oscar on, Isaac. Like, we're talking about like major <laughs> studio theatrical films, I guess. Maybe I'd have to I. That seems like a, a clickbaity headline to me personally, but I, I would I have to do more research to figure it out. Um, yeah, this is his third Marvel character that he has played. Yeah, Apocalypse. Uh, we've got Moon Knight, uh, Moon Knight yeah. and now oh, Spider Man twenty nine nine. Yeah, but he is the fan who gets upset when things deviate off their normal I mean, the, track, right? The, the whole idea of canon events. I sat there and chuckled to myself because I'm like, oh man, yeah. That no, that's canon. Mm-hmm. How many yeah. arguments have we been in like that? If you go like, no, or what is canon? God damn, if I never have another conversation about what counts as canon, I would be a happy person. Canon what is it, whatever you want to make it. And it's whatever the new thing is acknowledging as canon, is kind of my look at it. Canon was something they had to come up with in the early days of yep connected storytelling when it came to Marvel comic books in terms of what what classified as part of the ongoing story continuity and what didn't. Mm-hmm. And obviously the term canon is older than that in terms of like, oh, what is considered the canon of literature and what is not. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I got I to gotta shout out to uh, uh, Dan Larson over at Toy Galaxy. is a great YouTube channel. And he he does a thing in there where he runs through histories of like uh, cross media uh, franchises and stuff, mm-hmm. mostly based on things that have toy lines. And one of the things he one of the running bits on there is they'll introduce like yeah, then there was this animated series and they do the big graphic of is it K 
canon? <laughs> no. You know, it's like, whatever, right? It's sort of like... Well, uh, this and, movie certainly implies that basically everything is, or at least it exists within well, the quote-unquote web. And that's kind of the thing. This movie gets back to what how I feel about canon, where it's like, you can take or leave as much of it as you want, and mm-hmm. it doesn't matter. It's all It all happened... It's the same thing about like, and and I know because I, we had these conversations when it happened. But when all the expanded universe stuff didn't count as canon anymore, it's like, eh, eh, people got bent out of shape. It's like you still love those stories. Those yeah. stories still happen. They can still matter to you, whether or not a movie acknowledges them. Doesn't take anything away from the book that you loved. You still enjoyed that story and took it into your heart. But there is this weird temperament that we get into where certain people won't accept the stories having existed if they're not acknowledged by whatever's happening in the moment, right? There's a reason Miles Morales was migrated over to the 616 at a certain point, because he was so popular and obviously they want to sell comic books. It's the whole art versus commerce argument. I mean, also, yes, and of course and and they realize the Ultimate Universe wasn't as popular and it's like, but this guy is, so we'll just Put him over there. Yeah, and they did it with a couple of other characters. Spider Gwen's another amazing example of that. I think she yeah. originated as like a piece of cover art once, and then they spun her off the, into her own and book. I remember first interacting with her during the Edge of the Spider Verse stuff, right when that was happening. Mm-hmm. But I think, yeah, I think she might have been a variant cover design initially. I mean, that's uh, how Gwenpool started out as well, and she's not even a Gwen Stacy variant. No, this is true. Uh, I mean that the. the <laughs> They did, there was a period of time, and I think Gwenpool definitely came with this, where it's like, th- things got a little nuts for a while there, where they were just sort of going like, following the popularity of stuff like Spider-Gwen, they started jamming a bunch of stuff, going, oh, shit, why not this? And mm-hmm. some of that worked, and some of it didn't, you know? Right. Um, but it, it's it's part of any initiative, the all-new, all-different Marvel. It's like we're talking, we're so used to, uh, it's the, the, I constantly berate the, the, the the DC punchline the character punchline that they were just like meet your new favorite character it's like okay DC calm down <laughs> anytime and I do remember I went into a comic book store and they were talking about like have you pre-ordered which variant you want for the first appearance of punchline I'm like I couldn't care no but this is going to be something you're going to want to hold on to forever when this becomes the most popular yeah I don't think so I once again mm-hmm. we've been down this road too many times and you know when you try to make that a thing, it doesn't work. Whereas something like Spider-Gwen, which is kind of a one-off concept, turned into something people really loved and now has its own continuity and is hugely popular and sells, I mean, my God, the amount of toys and shirts. And I mean, Spider-Gwen is ubiquitous within pop culture. Doing some quick reading here. She did originally appear in, uh, Let's see, February 2015 in some of uh, the original Spider-Verse uh, crossover event stuff. Yeah, but it was like a short story where they were telling, if I remember correctly, because I think I remember reading that, that it was like they, they, they were doing like little individual one shots about tons of different Spider-Verse characters. And that one just, I mean, that's that's the luck of the draw. It's just like there were other ones that didn't take off that I'm sure they did. Whereas Spider-Gwen, people just latched onto it because it looked cool. It was an interesting idea. It's the the classic reversal of like, it's 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 a, I mean, Spider-Gwen is born out of the great Marvel what-if thinking, really, right? It's like, what if Gwen Stacy became Spider-Man? Oh, okay. Well, mm-hmm. that's interesting. And then the way that extrapolated. And then the world they built around her, too. I mean, that was the cool thing about it, right? She's in a band. 
the idea that her Peter Parker turned into the lizard. Um, yeah, Edge of the Spider Verse number two. That was those one off, those yeah. one shot issues that were all like, uh, here's a different version yeah. of Spider Man from different universes in every and that, issue. That's the kind of stuff I love where that just due to just sheer like, oh, that's interesting. People latched onto it. There was just an appetite for it. It wasn't, she was not presented as. They didn't give her own book right up front. It wasn't like, oh, this is going to be your new obsession. It just mm-hmm. happened. People latched yeah. onto it. Penny Parker That's- and Spider-Man Noir are also, I believe, first showed up in those books. Sure. And they're great. But they're, you know, they don't have nearly the the ubiquity that, that Spider-Gwen does. And I think that just is what, I mean, I love Spider-Man Noir. But Spider-Man Noir is also much more of a one-note concept. Sure. Um, disappointed we don't get a Nicolas Cage in this, although apparently I've been promised... More Nicolas Cage and more John Mulaney in the third movie. It definitely looks that way. Can we talk about the fact that this movie is actually only part one? That's the biggest... I don't know if upset's the right word, but like I was aghast how much of a cliffhanger this movie ends on. Like Movies just don't end on this hard of a cliffhanger anymore. Someone hasn't seen Fast X. Well, no, I haven't. And that movie, but that movie, got, like, got nothing on the Fast X cliffhanger. I'll just say that. Okay. Are they literally hanging off a cliff? Kind of. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's basically that where it's just like, and every character you love is imminently going to die. Go to credits. Okay. But I was. But, but yes, but I guess the last I guess movie I can like think that. of that did this was Infinity War in terms this, of just how dire straits things seem to be with zero story resolution. Yeah, no, this is definitely starting to... Once again, I had the, the the Fast X thing, and now this, and we had Infinity War. This is definitely becoming more more of a thing, and, and it's it's an interesting thing in storytelling, and, and I, I know there are people who hate it. I, I know I went to Fast X, and my dad said they forgot to make an ending. Uh, <laughs> they didn't end it. I'm um, like, yeah. no, you got to come back in two years, Dad. Well, and that's the acknowledgement of just how serialized storytelling that's has what embedded I mean. itself in modern yeah, talk, movies, right? about the way that, like, comic books or movies are more like comic books, which are more like TV, and TV's more like movies, and video games are more like films, and it's just sort of like everything is influencing each other. I mean, this is I, something I love. It's just like, you can kind of do anything now. It's like the bounds of what is a movie, what is a TV show, what is a comic book are kind of breaking down, right? And sort of mm-hmm. just like, well, we can all just kind of borrow pieces from these mediums. And it's even more comic booky. This is a total yeah. end trade, right? Like, oh, shit, what's going to happen? Come back. And, and by the way, you don't have to wait. The, the, the third one's already done, you guys. It comes out next March. So it's not like... Uh, Fast X, I have to say, is like a Vin saying 2025, we got a writer's strike. and uh, <laughs> I don't need no writers to write my movie, though. I'll just come up with everything myself. Beyond the Spider-Verse uh, is coming out next year, though? Yes, it's March of next year. They already have a, a, a release date. So we don't even have to wait a full year. No, it's like nine months. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> March like, 29th, 2024. There was more of a gap between an Infinity War and Endgame. Yes. Yeah, there's less than a year here. Um, but yeah, they, no, that's the thing. They did this cliffhanger only because I think, I I don't know. I don't know if this was the initial plan or if this was born out of, uh, like, uh, I think we just got too much material here. From what I've read, that seems to be the case that there was just like the movie they were making was so big. They went to the studio and were like, can we just make this into a a two-parter? And they did. Yeah. And, 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 and Lord Miller talking about, and I've seen this before, is like that. And that will be a definitive three act 
story. Yeah. They talk about. That's the Miles Morales trilogy. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's great. Now, you know, everybody's talking about spinoffs and stuff. Yeah, sure. I don't I, I don't need that in my life. I'm open to it if they're good. Once again, people go like, we need a Spider-Gwen movie. Um, yeah, Look, okay. The Lego movies give us Lego Batman, and I'll be forever in debt to that. So I, I yeah, we've seen this sort of thing work Lego before. Ninjago. Lego Ninjago was fine. But it just didn't do well. <laughs> that well, that, that that's the thing is sort of like there is something so magical about these that once again, I I would be more than happy to for them to be equally great. But there is always this sort of thing where it's like I can totally see them making the Spider Ham movie, and we're all like, well, that was cute, but it's kind of disposable, right? And the fact that this particular movie across the Spider Verse is such also a Spider Gwen movie, I don't think yeah. we need a separate Spider-Woman movie as much as I'd like to see that character continue, but I have the comics for that. So I don't know. I think that's the thing is like, I, I, that's what I'm talking about with the replicatable nature. And I think it's why people haven't figured out is like, this is, there's some special sauce in here, right? It's like, it's the combination of the Spider-Man universe, these filmmakers, this take, this animation style that like, Trying in any way to recreate this is going to be very tough, whether that be in sequels or just in things trying to approximate this. You know, it, it's 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 tricky stuff. You just because this could have, like I said, these this is a classic example of a movie that there were ten thousand ways to make this terrible. Mm-hmm. Part of the magic of this film, in particular, is the mashup of it all. Right? You were talking about yeah. this earlier. How? all of these different art styles blending together, but they're doing that to tell this unique story. Doing that uh, as telling any of these individual stories would feel weird and off-putting. And having different art styles mash on top of each other without having a story reason to do it, I feel like is just a recipe for making the audience go, that's just a bunch of noise. And I've seen people react that way to this movie. And I wholly disagree because they're doing it in this film for a very specific purpose. It's the, it's, it's, it, it really, this one even more so, because once we eventually get to the whole, like basically city full of spider people, right? Spideropolis or. Yeah. Yeah. The, 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 whatever, like, you could get lost in the noise, but the movie does such a good job of going like, ah, that's just the atmosphere of it, though. Like, of course, I'm looking for the stuff, and I will we'll watch it for the 40th time, looking for every single Spider-Man I can clock. Um, I just by the take way, a minute. Let's, let's highlight some of the stuff we saw on that, because let's just get that out of the way. Like, um, we got Sp- Spider-Cat, Spider-Horse, Spider-T-Rex, uh, Spider-Cop was there uh, with what? his mustache. We got uh, the the, lo- the the web-slinger with Spider-Horse. Um, I mean, I, I, there's the, the Atari, like, Spider-Man is in there. Atari Spider-Man. We got old 60s cartoon Spider-Man. We've got uh, Insomniac oh, yeah, want- Game Spider-Man with Yuri Lowenthal doing the voice. Uh, well, I want to give a big shout out to something I know we were both a big fan of, which was the spectacular Spider-Man, who also gets a line in here by yep. Josh Keaton, who was the voice on that show. And I was like, oh, my God, I thought only Gurgoni and I remembered that show. <laughs> <laughs> that was really, that's a really good Spider-Man show. That's a it really did good not, Spider-Man show. It only got a couple seasons, and it's a bummer because it was a fantastic Spider-Man show. Um, and during the whole run of it. Anyone who knew Gurgoni and I were, were hearing us go, why aren't you watching Spectacular Spider-Man? It's such a good Spider-Man show. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, I was delighted to see him, and it was the voice. Uh, uh, I mean, th- there were so many. Once again, I wish I had, I had come on it, off it more freshly like you. I thought like a week ago. But, you know, they call out things. And then this 
fucking Donald Glover in a Prowler costume. I don't... I was wondering about this. I don't know how impactful that cameo is to people who weren't... How do I phrase this? There are like 12 through 18-year-olds who Mm -hmm. are seeing this movie for the first time that weren't alive when the Donald Glover should be Spider-Man push happened. Because... But but they did see Spider-Man Homecoming where he played Aaron Davis... Who is the Prowler. Yes, correct. And I think that was a, a good like link to that. But like the fact that he's even in uh, Homecoming is a nod to yes. that fan push of like our really, next Peter Parker should be Donald Glover. I think there's a three-part thing here, right? It's like you either see Donald Glover and go, how clever people want a new Spider-Man. How clever he did play this character. Or people just going like, oh my god. Famous person Donald Glover. Famous you know person I mean? Donald Yeah. Childish Gambino is a different multiverse version of the Prowler. That's what I mean. I think I think that's one of the things that 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 is the why this movie is so successful, but also so nerdy is I don't think your nerdy obsession with it, it, it only it only enhances, but on the surface, if you don't know any of this, it's just like, whoa, wacky versions of Spider-Man. Or yeah. cameo of a person. How about how about one of the most random cameos? The shopkeep from Venom. Shopkeep from Venom. That was Sony being like, well, we have to justify the movies that have made us a bunch of money, right? Venom has to be acknowledged in some way. And we well, can't Venom, talk about Morbius. Venom's <laughs> the only thing that they should be justifying. I, mean, I like those Venom movies. Uh, I don't know what they have to do with anything else. But uh, I will say, talk about not being able to replicate. They're like, oh, my God. Oh, my God. Yes, Venom is successful. Okay, people love Venom. Great. Now a whole universe. And I think they've... <laughs> None of this. I look, Craven and Madam Web haven't come out, but I don't think they're gonna make Venom money. I just can't fathem. Um, you know, but I think Morbius was a perfect example. I think they'll make Morbius money. <laughs> I think they're gonna I think we're gonna get a few Morbiuses. I mean, have you heard the thing about that the Craven movie is like, oh, don't worry, folks, it is hard R gore fest. I'm like, is 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 that a good thing? Is that what people want? Nobody was asking for a Craven the Hunter movie. Nobody yeah. is asking for a incredibly violent Craven the Hunter movie. Don't and worry. Nobody wants a Craven the Hunter movie that doesn't have anything to do with Spider-Man. I know. I just I'm trying I was talking to somebody about the I was talking to fellow comic book nerd and friend of the show, Brendan Jones, about this, and we were trying to go, I don't remember if there's ever even been a Craven the Hunter comic. maybe a one shot. I don't even know if he's ever gotten a miniseries of his own. Maybe somewhere in the decades, but like, there is so... At least Venom is his own thing. Even Morbius has had his own book. But Craven is so separate from, you know... Is so, or it's not, so not separate. He is yeah. purely a Spider-Man character. That would be like having a solo, like, Vulture comic. Right, yeah, exactly. He's just sort of going like, I mean, you could. Even <laughs> Prowler's had his own comic, for God's sake. Uh, but Prowler has gotten like so much more built up as a character since his connection to Miles Morales was established. I mean, I will say that's the thing is like I love Craven the Hunter, but Craven the Hunter is purposely a one note character. I mean, he's there's depth to him, but he has a ubiquitous thing that makes him Craven the Hunter. He is one of the worst characters to make a solo movie about. I can't even, I can't even, Sony. Come on, son. And I think that we keep coming back to this for a reason. That's not to just continue to bag on Sony, but it is what's so bizarre about like you just crush it on these animated movies, and then the live action stuff is a mixed bag at best. Because 
certainly I greatly enjoy the Venom movies. I know you're not as keen on them as I am. I, I am fascinated by the performance at their center. I yeah, I will not be rewatching those films many times. <laughs> I have to bring Elliot on to defend the Venom movies with me. Um, but uh, I, I, I do really enjoy those Venom movies, but they are they are also uh, enjoyable as their own thing. I'm still not... I, there's no part of me that's going like, and then when does this come? I'm not... Di- I'm not... You know, the people going like, we got to see Tom Hardy fight Tom Holland. I'm like, um, I would see that movie. I don't need to see that movie in my life. Yeah. Uh, you know? Whereas this movie goes out of its way to acknowledge that all of that stuff exists in a continuum and appreciating it for what it is. But here's also key. And then I couldn't not think about this. Presumably the MCU is in there too, except it's not. They mentioned the MCU in this film. Well, they, they do. And technically the doll Glover thing is MCU tangential, right? Yeah. Because they mentioned Doctor Strange and the whole thing with that nerd on Earth 1999-99. I think it it is very key that when we see the only live-action Spider-Man we see is Andrew Garfield. Right, yeah. And uh, we see, like, Tobey Maguire's version of Uncle Ben, and we see... Yes. But it is very... uh, We are... are, Sony is still going, but we could build our own universe. And I'm sitting there going, no, you can't, Sony. (laughs) Well, I'm sorry. It yeah. doesn't work. It doesn't work. <laughs> they they can. That doesn't mean they should. Yes. Well, I mean, they can try. <laughs> they, they have to convince people to come see it, which right. they, so far they have not done an amazing job of. Uh-huh. People like these movies, people like Venom, but I don't I don't think they've made a case for. And all the things connected. Right. <laughs> that's that's the, the thing. Their best case for everything is connected is this film, right? Yeah. This idea that there are these connections to the spider people and this like continuity that needs to be maintained. And that is so cool in this movie. Yeah. I do not think anyone's going to Craven the Hunter going, I can't wait to see how this connects to Across the Spider-Verse. Well, and that's why I'm so interested in a a film called Madam Web, because that's basically the whole premise of her character, right? Yeah. Right. Is that she sees the connectivity between the different spider people? It and that role has evolved over time in both the comics yeah. and different cartoons. I can't, but I, Gergoni, I can't wait to see that if there aren't spider people. That's just going to be so much fun. <laughs> Get rid of all the spider people. Make Madame <laughs> Web young. Great choice. Uh-huh. Uh, oh my god! I just that one. I mean, Craven the Hunter is look sounds very stupid, but Madame Web is like hold my beer. Um, <laughs> Lord, are you kidding me? The second they announced that, oh, I'm sorry though. What is the the one? Uh, what's the one they're doing? That's the wrestler guy who's in like two issues ever of Spider Man. That's the oh one they, yeah, yeah yeah yeah. That's just I, I mean remember. that the character might as well not exist. <laughs> yeah, I because I... what is it? What did they say they have the rights to nine hundred nine hundred or six hundred characters? Yeah. It's like, I can't wait for that J. Jonah Jameson miniseries. I did really enjoy the fact that we get a lot of J.K. Simmons in this movie across the different multiverses as... He, he is the Eternal, J.K. Right? Simmons as J.J.J. is the Eternal. No, even if he's in different various, he is always J.K. Simmons. Because you, mm-hmm. you get a lot of it in the Spider-Gwen universe. Oh, also, I want to shout out to uh, a character actor I love, and he's so good in this movie, Shea Wiggum as Captain Stacy in this. Mm. fan. 
fantastic. The scenes between him and Haley Steinfeld, who's continuing to crush it as... Because, I mean, so much here, I, I don't think we've talked enough about the voice cast in this movie, as in the first movie. Amazing. Everybody is so good here. Make more Haley Steinfeld, Brian Taylor Henley, uh, Luna Lauren Valles, who plays Rio Morales. She's crushing it in this film. I mentioned Transformers. So strange. I saw this in Transformers in the same week, and she is also the main character's mother in Transformers Age of the Beast, that woman. so She's got strong mom energy, I guess. (laughs) In that, though, it's a real, like, uh, be careful, honey, at the beginning, and then she comes back at the end going, I'm so proud you saved the world. So it's not much. (laughs) That. Uh, but she's very good i loved her on dexter as well so um that's that's what i'll always remember her from as the, the, the captain on her, dexter the second i heard her on uh in the first one i'm like that's oh, lieutenant laguerta from uh dexter oh my god mm-hmm. uh i know that voice instantly she's great no yeah she's great uh, uh daniel Jason Lua Sh- as uh hobie oh we got spider punk kaluuya yeah. is so good in this and spider punk is such a good character of a guy who basically, as a punk, exists in contrast to whatever the status quo is. So he ends up being an ally to Miles simply because he's like, yeah, man, fuck the system, right? You know, like. <laughs> I was really afraid they were going to overuse that character based on the amount of hype I was seeing about that character coming out of this movie. Because I, I waited about a week before seeing this movie. Right. And yeah. it, they, I think they used him just enough. To it's be a like this wrecking ball of a character that sweeps through a couple of scenes and then is out. <laughs> he is firmly a character I do not care about at all from the comics, right? Like who, who? Uh, he, other than he's a cool design, he's a cool design. He's got a pretty fun like alternate reality mini series that I recommend people go read. But but it's like it's like that, a, yeah, he's not one of those where I'm like, man, I really hope they nail Spider Punk, you know. But uh, Danny Kaluuya is a great actor, and the design of him, all the his whole art. Uh, like uh, his weird, like wavy kind of sketch thing. That's also good. It, I mean, it looks like eighties. Like he uh, looks like uh, an ever shifting uh, punk collage. Is what he looks. Yeah, like. yeah. I was gonna say it looks like Sex Pistols posters or stuff like that, mm-hmm. right? Uh, and and is and is he's great. He's so he's so much fun in this. Uh, he's great. Uh, Jason Schwartzman is the spot. What a great Jay- choice. If you ever need a put upon. Yeah. slightly self-deprecating without actually meaning to like villain yeah. jason schwartzman is your go-to right <laughs> kind of like oh man i don't know i'm gonna go over there and do that man I, well i don't like that that happened to me so i'm gonna be it's just it is just sort of like i'm gonna be a bad guy and i you know before the i saw before the movie started there was a trailer for him in uh the new wes anderson movie asteroid city mm. same energy same energy over there just I mean, which season of Fargo was he in? He's in uh, season four. I thought it was three or four, yeah. Um, yeah, he's, he's Same energy. <laughs> yeah, that's just him as a gangster. I mean, yeah. that's the thing. Schwartzman's one of those guys who has such a great personality and is so low-key. And I've, I've, I mean, I've loved him since he debuted in Rushmore. I just, he's one of those actors I just adore. And him was the spot the second he was. And then I got to talk about, to me, uh, side MVP. Andy Samberg is Scarlet Spider. Like, for supporting... <laughs> just, just like, I'm so tortured! Oh, Ooh, Ben Riley! Oh my god, it is a perfect Ben Riley read. Yeah. Uh, Karan Sony uh, of Deadpool oh. fame coming in as Pavita Barker. Certainly recognize that voice right away. Yeah. Uh, very good. 
but uh, but yeah, I do love all the uh, yeah, even the little performances, and of course Jake Johnson as uh, Peter B. Parker, who is now the uh, annoying father with a new kid, who's like, look, I look at a million pictures of my kid. I mean, he's the Spider-Man from Brand New Day, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, basically, yeah, right. Like the one who like. Because there is a spinoff series of like, what if Peter and MJ like settled down and had a kid and their kid eventually becomes Spider-Woman? And that's a really fun series. Yeah, yeah. And that's the thing. And he's got, uh, and all the animation on Mayday Parker is great. The little spider baby. I knew I shouldn't have given her web shooters, man. I, well, I love Jake Johnson so much in the first movie as Peter B. Parker of just the harried middle-aged. Uh, <laughs> I remember him talking about on the on the press for the first movie. He goes, Jesus Christ, even in voice form, I'm like a schlub. Like even my voice says this guy's out of shape and kind of burnt out. Uh, and then here he's 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 the guy who's now like, oh, he's kind of gotten it together, but now he's become the annoying guy who's going like, look at my kid, man. Oh, I gotta tell you about my kid. And you're like, oh, Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Just Miguel O'Hara being like, again with the kid, here we go. Um <laughs> that's the other thing, too. These movies are very funny without being spoofs of Spider-Man. They are they they play with the Spider-Man iconography and the kind of they acknowledge the ridiculousness of this, but it's also these are serious superhero stories, but they're very funny too. Well, it's I mean, I think Jake Johnson's Peter B. Parker says it like pretty perfectly. It was just like, we're all supposed to be funny. Why aren't you a funny one? Are you sure you're a Spider-Man? Spider-Man 29 <laughs> is the only Spider-Man who's not funny. Yeah, I like <laughs> So it's like something, something's wrong with him, man. Also, yeah. were you as delighted as I was when he popped his vampire fangs out? The fact that they acknowledge that, yes, Spider Man twenty nine nine is kind of a vampire. <laughs> yeah, I kind of expected them to gloss over that, but they didn't. It's like whoa, and they just casually do it at the beginning. He goes to bite somebody. I'm like, oh my god, they're they're <laughs> one of the weirdest things about that because. Ca- Spider-Man 2099, and I know he has his fans, and I enjoy him, but he's a ridiculous character because they threw so much at that character, which is where the vampire stuff comes in, too, right? Like, Oh, I mean, that's the whole... Shit. I mean, he's he's a vampire, but also he's got nanotech, and he's also yeah. got, like, weird spider totem stuff going on. Like, it's a whole thing. He's he's a lot. He's a lot. But that's everything uh, in the twenty ninety nine books, right? That was the oh, point yeah. of them is to be wild and over the top. Absolutely, and that's the thing. But I like that once again. That works perfect. I don't want to see a twenty ninety nine movie. Like I, I don't. Okay. If you uh, want to watch twenty ninety nine, go watch Spider Man Unlimited from the like early two thousands. It is a yeah, bonkers TV show. Uh, it is bonkers. I don't know that I can actually recommend it, but it. You'll get what you're looking for if that's what you're looking for. Um, also, weirdly enough, High Evolutionary, main bad guy of that show. That's true. <laughs> uh, so if you loved him in uh, Guardians of the Galaxy, there's more of him to be found. Sure. Uh, but yeah, th- no, I so all, and making him the the spider guy, like the leader of all the spider people, also makes sense because he is just too much and he's got everything going for him. Well, and he, like, he stands as, like, the opposite side of the coin of Miles, right? Whereas the two of them are the characters who aren't really tied into the Peter Parker singularity of Spider-Man. Yeah. Uh, I would say those two and Jessica Drew. I thought Jessica Drew was actually an interesting and odd addition to the group because Mm. she is so, like, disconnected from the spider 
property as a whole. Um, they don't go into that a lot in this movie. She doesn't get. We don't get a lot of her backstory. But no, I love she's just another hand. Spider Woman. She's not really. She's 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 a Spider Woman. She's also named Jessica Drew, but she is not Jessica Drew Spider Woman that we know from the comics really at all. No, and 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 that's fine. Uh, and they made her pregnant because there's a whole comic book yeah, arc yeah. where the she Jen- is pregnant, run, which is great. Yeah. It's probably yeah. the best Spider Woman run. Um, but uh, it, it's. And and I loved Issa Rae's performance as her. She's great, and yeah. I love the design. And uh, I definitely want a figure of that. It's a cool. She's a cool looking Spider Woman. But yeah, she's definitely there. Uh, now I will say I heard. Uh, uh, I'm not trying to start. I'll, I'll, I'm not going to say who it is. Even I heard a a, a noted Spider Man expert being upset about this movie, saying that this betrays the character of Spider Man. That all these Spider Mans would get on board with letting people die in this plan, and that it actually is an insult to the character Spider-Man, who would never allow innocent people to die. And so the idea that only Miles being the one to stand against this is in opposition to everything Spider-Man is about. I think the whole third act of this movie raises questions about how the Spider-Society functions and who is all actually aware of what's happening. Mm. And exactly like the order of operations in which people are allowed in on some of this information is a question I have for the third movie. I have like anytime there is an omniscient multiversal police force of some kind that institutes like the correct method in which things well, we must be maintained. It's never a good the, thing, right? We saw that with the TVA right over on we saw uh, that with well, the TVA. We saw it over uh, uh, in everything, everywhere, all at once. Uh, yeah. Like it's, it's, it's a constant theme in multiverse stories the where it's like, there's no, uh, Vegan police, another great example. Oh, man, <laughs> totalitarian vegan police. Um, but uh, no, but yeah, yeah, no, I agree. That, that's and that's always the thing. And I do think the movie does a good job, though. If it's like the way Miguel for Miguel Ferrer, the actor um, Miguel O'Hara uh, is presenting it, is it does seem like well, we have we have to balance the needs of the many against the needs of the few. So it does seem like I don't look at it as like, oh man, these Spider Men are betraying their based on what he's presenting, and it's the same way I don't view him as a villain. It's like they are justifying this as heroic sacrifice, not like uh well, we're just gonna look the other way while somebody dies. Cause he's really making it clear, like, if this doesn't happen, and I think it's also sort of this like idea about like um uh, almost like the Doctor Who fix points in time where it's like, well, you can't change that. That's got to happen or yeah. chaos ensues. Uh, so I don't I, I was I was kind of curious about that. And also, you know, uh, I, I will say, I think the third movie has to do something to justify me to the point where all of these spider people would go along with that sort of thing. Because I, in an infinite universe where everything can happen, the idea that nobody would stand up and say this is wrong Especially when all those people are Spidermans, hmm. that strikes me as it, the whole back half of this movie struck me as a little like something bigger is going on here. It's not just this explanation that twenty ninety nine is giving us. Well, I mean, I, I'm I'm sure that's the case because there's a whole other movie. Otherwise, there's not a plot right, there. But, exactly, uh, but th- but that's my point is yeah. that like something else is going on here. I don't think. We as the audience have all the information, and I don't think even any of the characters that are participating in this have all the oh, information. And obviously, at the end of the movie, Gwen goes and recruits a bunch of the people from the first movie who aren't part of Miguel O'Hara's spider cabal or whatever. Right, yeah. 
which I think is probably key as well. Why why isn't Spider Noir and Spider uh, Spider Ham and stuff like that? Why aren't they part of this? There must be a reason for that. There's a reason Miguel didn't want to bring Miles into it. I mean, I think there may be also choosy in who he's bringing into it, uh, and who and and yes, who he's trusting with what information and. The also the idea I like that it, it forces both Gwen and Peter B. Parker to reckon with because Peter B. Parker is kind of the first one to go like, well, I kind of don't ask questions like and now right. that I am now that you force me to ask questions, maybe I kind of don't like, you know. Well, and there's this whole bit at the beginning of this film where Miguel and Jessica Drew are or at least Miguel specifically is super hesitant to recruit Gwen for some reason. Yeah. And there doesn't seem to be a good reason for it, at least in what were presented in this film. Well, so, yeah, what is determining who can do this and who can't? Shouldn't shouldn't all the spider people be working together? Yeah, exactly. So that implies that there's some sort of choosy process. And obviously now the spot has thrown a wrench in whatever was going on. So that further complicates things. I mean, that's that's just good storytelling, right? You set a you set a ground rules of a thing and then you complicate and twist and challenge. Well, and the complication that like Miles' spider abilities are a spider from a different universe gave him the powers, which leads us into the end of this film where there's a universe out there where no Peter Parker or anybody got bit by a spider. Right, correct, which we we find. What a cool twist at the end of this movie when you think like, oh, they're sending Miles home, but really he's in another universe, which is the universe where they bring back the Prowler, only he's not the Prowler, Miles is the Prowler in this universe. Which is played by Jarell Jerome as Miles G. Morales, which I like that in the credits only. It took me a second to go like, wait, I think that's a different voice. And it was. Um, So that's interesting that it's not also Shamik Moore doing that Miles Morales. But I mean, the same way that Chris Pine was the voice of the Peter Parker of Miles' universe and Jake Johnson is the Peter Parker of another. I, I think that's smart, not having the same voice actor be the same character across the multiverse because it lets us differentiate the characters and it just gives us places to put fun little cameos, whether it be really? Andy Samberg as Ben Riley or uh, people from like Yuri Lowenthal from the that's Insomniac. That's the movie I want. I need, I need an Andy Samberg Scarlet Spider movie. Now we're talking. I feel like that would get infuriating really quick. And to do that, you'd have to explain the Clone Saga. Man... You get movie six of Tom Holland. We're cloning that sucker. That's all I know. Ben Riley's coming to the MCU. Oh, there boy. are Ben Riley fans out there. I've run into them. I know. Time. I know. And I actually, I love the conceit of one of the more recent Spider-Man X-Men crossovers in which Ben Riley and Madeline Pryor team up as a bad guy team. It's like, oh, two disaffected clones of main characters teaming up. Yeah, that makes sense. Did you see they're bringing back the weird, uh, evil, like, human version of Vision? In the comics? Yeah, in the comics. No, I didn't uh, see this. Uh, yeah, who is that? What's that guy's name? You know what I'm talking about? I the, vaguely. Uh, oh, Christ. I was just reading about this. This is the new Al Ewing um, Avengers series. Oh. Victor Shade. Mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah the former alias of vision yeah mysterious yes that's it exactly anyway i'm excited about that janet van dyne's leading a new avengers team cool uh, and, she and, always and, makes a good team leader absolutely because I, I as pointed out in the as al ewing was going it's like you know she was like an original founding member and people kind of don't include her in uh, avengers lineups very much anyway uh but yeah i just th- that's another like weird thing where you go like oh yeah there's like a alternate uh, like 
evil vision named Victor Shade, right? Yeah, mm-hmm. use that. Um, so yeah, and that's the thing I like about this. Once again, it's the sort of the thing about like all insane comic book shit is happening all at once. But that's the strength of the script that it also uh, doesn't get. It is still clearly a few character stories. Like I said, if you if if you if people complain about getting lost in all the chaos of it, is like, well, that that's kind of you choosing not to focus on the thing. It's like the movie doesn't. The movie wants you to view it as a tapestry, right? Not as the thing to to sink into, especially on first not, viewing. Not necessarily, John, because I feel like there can if you're not used to engaging with comic books as a medium or animation beyond just like the basic Disney Pixar stuff the way this movie comes at you and how it's presented could be a little overwhelming on first viewing. If you're not used to that sort of thing, just on a visual aesthetic level. And I can't necessarily fault people for that because like art is subjective. And if you're not used to like a lot of colors and noises and different like animation styles. I mean, I guess at a certain point I would then ask, why are you going to see it? But what what else says Spider-Man in the title? Well, yeah, but there's two of these now. But the other thing I'll say is, <laughs> what I'm saying is, this is a compliment to the movie. Is like, sure, that, but that's on that person. I don't think it's a fault of the film. As I guess, no, I would agree with that. Yes. They, they do a good job with that. Sure, that may be some people's reaction, but I wouldn't say that that's the the, the movie doesn't do anything. There's nothing more this movie could do to make it clear. I, I, I think no, that's the, in the, the first movie. ten minutes, they pretty clearly tell you what you're in for when you have. Uh, Gwen Stacy fighting Leonardo da Vinci sketch vulture. Oh, that was awesome. Talk about one of my favorite other designs in this. But but it is so like bombastically separate different art styles that are having to interact with each other. There's another two hour movie that could prepare you for this one. too. I mean, it's just like this is definitely an expansion of the, the first movie. And then they take it even further in this movie, which is great. To an extent, yes, but Into the Spider-Verse doesn't go to the extremes this movie does. Well, I mean, it... it, Not even really a little bit. Well, I would say a little bit. I mean, you have, you know, when you have... The closest thing you get is Spider-Man Noir being such a... In stark contrast to the rest of the colors of the film. No, no, then you got Penny Parker, who's so an anime character with the other stuff... Like I there's the, there's a, there's a lot of stuff in there, but I'm talking about like it's like they this movie expands on what that first movie did, so yes. it, it, it's a good stepping. The two together is a good step. I would also say don't see this if you haven't seen the first one, just in terms of I don't think it's going to impact you the same way. Obviously, this is not that, a standalone movie. Yeah, that would be like seeing Empire without seeing Star Wars, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> exactly. You're just, you're just starting with Infinity War, you know, you're like, wait a minute now, what I happened? I know that there are some people who did, and that's the insane part, right? I know, and, and there are people, and I've, I know, I've talked to people who are like, well, I only saw Endgame, it was really good. Uh, and God's bless them, if that's how they want to interact with the uh, medium. And I, I certainly won't call out this person, but once again, I did see... Your father... No, my <laughs> father has weird opinions. But uh, somebody on Facebook just the other day, and I rarely go on Facebook, but sometimes I have to go on there to just to rile yourself up. Well, sometimes I have to go on there. To, I, I took the messaging app off of my phone because I don't like it dinging when just random crap happens. So I only go on. I log on anyway. People need to know. Uh, but uh, but I just so I occasionally I'll see posts, and I saw a guy go, "Yeah, just watched the last episode of Succession on an airplane. Never seen the show before." He goes, "People say this is as good as The Wire or Deadwood. It's not." I'm like. You're basing this off of no explanation. You only watched the last episode of a show. You have no, I'm sorry. Your opinion does not matter to me. That is insane. <laughs> yeah, watch the last one. 
I didn't think it was that good. <laughs> I thought the last episode of The Sopranos was weird. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. So the, well, it's always my point, too, about the lost ending, which I'm I'm ready to have with people who watch the whole series and have issues with it. But there are people who go, yeah, yeah, stop watching season three, then watch the last episode to see what was going on, and it was dumb. It's like, well, that, no, you didn't follow the thing. Like I said, if you, <laughs> I'm willing to hear the, the because uh, people know I'm famously a lost defender. Um, sure. But uh, uh, if you watch the whole show and didn't like the ending, I will gladly have a conversation about what it meant. But if you just like dipped out and then came in to see the end expecting that will just have all the answers for me, uh, you're not engaging with the show correctly to really discuss it. Well, and that's why I don't necessarily fault people who come away with this movie feeling a little bit overwhelmed by its art and presentation. Because while I think Into the Spider-Verse is a good dip into what this movie is doing and how hard across the Spider-Verse goes, this movie cranks that shit up to 11, if not higher. And it can't, I, I don't blame people is what I'm saying for feeling mm -hmm. overwhelmed by it. I think well, one of I the, no. <laughs> uh, but I, I'm, I'm saying I understand that aesthetic criticism, but that being said, I think engaging with this film and understanding how you can't separate the art from the storytelling in a certain way with this film specifically is how you have to engage with it. Because there is no separation, at least to me, of how this movie is presented and the story it's telling because they're one and the same thing. That's what I'm saying. It's like it 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 goes to that comic books stuff that you that we're talking about, right? Like the the this movie embraces the its own medium of animation the same way comic books embrace its medium where it's like the, the best art comic books story, do anyway. Yeah, the art and story going hand in hand. The characters are the art, the story is the art. All things are meshing together to work. It's not just because I could totally imagine, once again, the other lesser version of this movie where I'm going, well, it looks really cool, but the script is a little, eh, but it, it was st still a cool experience, you know? Like, right. Or maybe the animation is more slapdash and feels a little lazy in places, but the script but is really good. Yeah, exactly. The, and that's what I'm saying. Like, there were a million ways to screw this up. So these movies are marvels of that because, no pun intended, uh, because... Uh, they, you know, they they are able to to merge those two things, and they work, and it and it's so hard, and we see so many people fail to do this. I do think when people talk about like, it's always the same thing. It's the same thing when people bring up superhero fatigue, but now people talk about like, oh my god, everything's a multiverse. I'm like, well, if it's good story, it's good story. If it's about a multiverse, then great. If it's not, then it's not. I don't know. You know, there's nothing inherently wrong with anything. Like. That's just how, like, storytelling cycles go, is an idea will catch. A lot of yep. people, like, read about that idea. Suddenly, a generation or two's worth of people will write about it. I mean, the same thing was happening with space exploration back in the, like, Time 20s travel. and 30s. Time travel was a big thing at a certain point. Like, yeah. how long did we make Western movies for in the 60s and 50s? That's, that's always the thing when people bring up about superhero fatigue. Uh Another comment from our buddy Brandon Jones. He always talks to me. He goes, I, he, he's still on the, and if anybody can point him to this, he goes, I'm still waiting to read an article from some film critic in the 60s going, when are they going to stop making all these cowboy movies? My God, <laughs> we got Western fatigue, you know? Right. And, and, in the, and in the 70s and 80s, it was all hard boiled cops, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. The, the post Dirty Harry stuff. Everything mm -hmm. comes in cycles, right? And nothing, I, I do, I, I do kind of stand by, I heard somebody say this, and this has kind of always been my opinion about the the superhero fatigue. Is like, and and it's impossible to know, but it is sort of like, well, if the idea is as technology advances, things are getting bigger, like 
I don't know that there's anywhere else to go from here. So I'm not saying that, that, that there won't be less superhero movies at some point, but I don't know what's really going to replace the superhero movie. Cartoons. Like, <laughs> maybe. I don't, I don't know that that's... But I, I, I don't really look at that as like the next step. Cartoons have been popular been, yeah. forever. We, we've been seeing wild space stories since the Herculoids. Like... <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what I'm talking about. I mean, like, you know, in the 1940s, Looney Tunes had the grip of, uh, you know, America. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I don't know. That's sort of the thing where I just go, I mean, and and the thing we're seeing, of course, too, is actually just, and welcome to John Talks About the Future of Cinema. Mm -hmm. Uh, uh, No, but uh, we're just seeing a fragment of, much like television, I I think there's going to be less and less things that appeal to everybody. There's just such a fragmentation of media and what people like. This whole idea that, like, we're starting to see that, like, everything is kind of making less money than it used to. The the monoculture doesn't exist anymore. In the same way that it used to be, like, everybody watched the same five TV shows. And now, like, if one can really break through and get, like, a huge percentage of the audience, that's super rare. Right. The the reason everybody watched Friends and the X-Files is because that was two of the eight shows that were on. Exactly, and this is the thing. And movies are getting cheaper and easier to make. More people are making them. Therefore, more people are going to be making specific ones, as we, especially as we bring in like streaming services and things like that. Right? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, like a lot of the stuff I'm watching, it doesn't even come out in theaters. So, right. like uh, the, did you see the 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 teaser for the Nimona movie that's coming out later this year? Yeah, I'm super that's excited. Our- that's finally coming out, but that's going straight yeah. to Netflix. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And that's the thing is like even I I mean one of my most anticipated movies of the summer that's a big sequel is Extraction Two and that's a net those that's a Netflix franchise yeah um, Chris Hemsworth is on fire while punching people <laughs> I don't know what more you could want out of cinema <laughs> uh, yeah unless he teamed up with a hyper intelligent gorilla I don't really yeah <laughs> and I haven't seen the movie Edgar Gunny so that might happen uh, okay no. okay okay. But what we're saying is Across the Spider-Verse is definitely, uh, regardless of where you rank it or how you consider it, is no question uh, a, 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 a new achievement in both superhero storytelling and film animation. No doubt. The, the, what they're doing, the, the, the way this expanding, I don't know how this gets picked up. We're going to see a bunch of terrible imitations. I have no doubt. Oh, yeah, 100%. Um, but, man, what an achievement the people who make these movies do, and I applaud them for continuing to this movie also the other thing we were talking about this movie could have rested on its laurels could have just been a retread instead they kept pushing they made it bigger and better and i cannot wait for part three i think it it the movie itself is embracing the thing that uncle aaron said to miles in his dying moments right it's keep going peter Mm -hmm. parker has always gone with the with great power comes great responsibility, but the story we're telling about Miles Morales is about keep going. Yep. It's push yourself. It's move beyond what you were. It's never resting. It's not being satisfied. It's keep going. Yeah. Spider-Man always gets up, right? That was the yep. thing in the first movie too, No, right? and that, that's the thing. It's still inherently Spider-Man. It's still that's inherently exactly. the hero we know, and it's still the person who can inspire us and really resound with the idea that anyone can be behind the mask. Yeah. But yeah, it's still working with the idea of bold new changes to something we're familiar with. Absolutely. And that that it's 
you you don't get to see that too often in stuff. Yeah. So I, I do I do applaud it uh, as a, a particularly singular entry in in a very large sort of uh, storytelling. I always hesitate to say genre, but like milieu, I guess is what. Yeah, I milieu is I think a good word. Um, we we exist in the weird interim space where the third movie doesn't exist yet. So right. this conversation could change radically in a year. Uh, it's, it's the same place we were when we did that Infinity War review, where it's like right now is the is is probably the last time we'll talk about this movie without talking about it in conjunction with the third movie, right? And have a much clearer vision of it. Mm-hmm. Um, much like how I feel about Fast X too. I can't, <laughs> and that's that. I'm waiting on two more because, as we know, it's a trilogy now. It's the final sure. trilogy. Yeah. Well, you and, can't have a family of two, John. You need at least three to make a family. <laughs> Uh, I did some. I think somebody did actually do the calculations, and the word "family" is said more in Fast X than all the other movies. So <laughs> he says "family" even more in it. So uh, I just want to see the, the 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 chart graphing the exponential curve of family mentions in those films. <laughs> well, I will say it was something we kind of we didn't like specifically put numbers to it, but we did over on and a good now plug for the patron page, mm-hmm. uh, com slash punch up. Uh, where we do a show called The Last to Be Curious, where we watch through franchises that people haven't seen. We just we just finished our series on the Fast and the Furious. We did sort of just get just just the vibe of it. We're talking about like hmm, not much talk about family in the first movie, then a little bit more, and and we were just sort of charting the general like family stew that was being made. So uh, we did chart that. So you can check that out in addition to. Uh, bonus content from this show, uh, including all of our back archives of panel up episodes, which you yeah. can get for it's just a, at the dollar level. You can listen if, to if you want to go five. listen to our review of Into the Spider Verse or uh-huh. uh, any of the other Marvel movies, including Sony Pictures Morbius. Yes, there is a Morbius review, um, uh, and uh, we'll 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 see if we have time for Craven when it comes out. That's going to be a real. We're not gonna we're not yeah, gonna make a place for it. Watch right now. Yeah. I I think we might be busy that day, John. Yeah. I don't know. More uh, more uh, Craven is a real. Uh, well, I will see if anything else is out. Uh. <laughs> if, if, if it is a barren media landscape. Then and only then shall we talk about Craven. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, th- that could also be a, a, a Ghost of the Movies episode just for just for the fun of it. I don't know, but uh, yeah, you can. So you can get cool exclusive bonus content from this show, uh, our other shows, Material Components, and Campbell and Jones Meet the Monsters. There, that's all that stuff is there. Once again, that's Patreon.podbean.com/slash/punchup. Uh, well, so next week, Gurgani, we go back. We're gonna finish up the 1997 special edition. Star Wars adaptation. Oh, thank God we're finally done. We're finally done with that. Then we go back to the 70s. But next month, we're going to keep things in the Lucasfilm family because next month for Panel Up, we are going to be talking about Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny. Hmm. I wonder if Indy will get his way out of this one this time. Probably. This movie seems like it's going to have time travel in it, so we'll see. Sure does seem like that. Dial of Destiny, there's a clock-based thing. I mean, I, I don't know where else you go with that. So we shall see. I am very curious. Uh, lots, I, I will say, they played it uh, at the Cannes Film Festival. A huge variety of reactions, which I don't yeah. consider a bad thing. I know some people are like, oh my God. But I'm like, I don't know, these seem to be all over the place, which it, it always implies that something interesting is going on. Then, at the very Yeah. Least. At um, the very least, it will be a... Uh... A generator of discussion, if nothing else. Absolutely. Uh, and I could not be more jazzed as 
a diehard Indiana Jones fan. So uh, that will be next month on the show, but that's going to do it for this month's episode of Panel Up. I've been John Campbell. And I will always be Mike Gargoni. Till next, till next month, that is. Mm-hmm. We're going to panel down.